Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, September 12th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. Uh, I don't see Leroy today. I see Pete up there. We'll, we'll see. Bruce is here. We'll hear from them, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. Looks like they're coming in already. Jump in and join us, 855-950-3835. We're just going to jump in and get right to it today. Bruce, good morning. Good morning. Uh, let's go to Pete. I'm on a cruise ship, and they're talking about Hurricane Lee. So um, I'm going to move myself. Okay. I'll come back to you in a little bit. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll come back to you. Um, let's see. Pete, good morning. Is that you there? Wait, why isn't this working? There we go. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you today? Good. I don't see Leroy on the board. Is he there with you or is he missing today? Oh, he's on vacation again. So we need to I, talk to him about that. Yeah, Bruce is on a cruise ship. Leroy's on vacation. You and I are here working. Yeah, I, I What's know. What's with that? I don't think Kevin. Jeez. No, we have to have a meeting. I think so. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll do it like the government, though. We have to have a couple meetings to plan the meeting. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, span it out for a couple months before right. anything gets done about right. it, and do, nothing gets done about it. We'll have to do some research. You know, we need a study to find out why they behave like this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. What's, uh, what's new and exciting in your world this week? Well, we're, we're busy. The shop's busy. The phone's been busy. I'm shorthanded this week. Get a couple people off sick. Uh, which one of your small company makes it tough? And then one part's guy's off with COVID. Uh, the other part's guy is sick, who probably has COVID as well. And then Lee was on vacation. And uh, Kathy was coming in late. She had a problem with her knees. So shorthanded wow. was a crazy day today. It was like a crazy Monday, and it was a Tuesday. Yeah. Holy cow. So... You know, people seem to be getting sick really early this year. There does seem to be something weird going on. Yes. Yep. I've been seeing it, hearing that from, you know, other people that, um, you know, other people I talk to, you know, companies they work for, a lot of people are calling yeah. off sick with COVID and so forth and colds, stomach bugs, what what have you. I've been hearing a lot of that. I don't know. I know. It seems kind of weird. You know, we'll, uh, and they're already talking about masks again. I don't even want to hear this stuff this time. Uh, I think yeah. people are so sick well, of it this time. Yeah, I don't think many people will wear it. I, I don't and think so Even either. when they did, like the, the local pharmacy I, I would go to, they would all have it down until someone walked in. And then it came up <laughs> a little bit. Like, okay, hey, we have to do this. And this is the pharmacy even like, okay, right. yeah, we're, we're, we have to we're go through the motions. The, the giant eagle the local supermarket was was almost like Nazis with it. I mean, she came in with a down. They were yelling at people. Yeah, they yeah. were ridiculous. About it. But most of the smaller stores, they you know it was on their chin. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just people aren't going to wear it this time. That's all there's to it. You know, I, I don't think they are. I, I talked about this last time. I didn't want to wear it. I did absolutely did not want to wear it. And living in a very small town. And when I would go into a store, I realized it's the government putting the pressure on that store. And I did it out of respect for the store owners and the people that worked there. I didn't want to. I didn't think it was at all necessary. I think it's ridiculous. Um, but I, I went along for that reason. 
Not this time. I decided this time if I want to go to a store and there's some sort of a mask mandate, I'm going to stick my head in there and say, I'm either coming in without a mask or I'm not coming in at all. Which one would you like? Yep, I agree. I, I felt the same way. Like, okay, hey, the store is just doing what they have to do. I'm not going to cause problems for them. Right. Uh, I'm sure they don't like it any more than we do. But some of the people at, at the one supermarket, I would go Sunday mornings, and she had what looked like a doorly your grandmother would have knitted on her face. You know, I, I could care less. You know, again, a small town, we've, we've got an eye doctor who's kind of a, a rebel. And he just said from the very beginning, I'm not wearing a mask. You can wear one if you want to come in. I'm not wearing one. I'm not requiring anybody else to wear one. And he he maintained that the entire time. He never won. And he said he lost a lot of a lot of people would not come in because he wouldn't wear a mask. I'm surprised. I know. Yeah, maybe I the know. older people, probably the older it, people, but I know younger people, I don't a whole lot cared. You know, I, I think that first time around, they scared enough people that, that there were people oh, who just didn't. Yeah. And it was. I mean, in the very beginning, hell, I was worried about it. We should have been mm-hmm. worried about it. You know, when, when all we knew about it in the beginning was China just locked 9 million people in their apartments, it, that seemed a little worrisome. You know, like this thing might be serious. But it didn't take us long to figure out it, it was just another bad cold is all it really is. And they seem to be dropping like flies in the very beginning. Like in the very beginning, yeah, which, over. Yeah, which seemed a little odd, too. I mean, everything about it seemed odd. That's part of the problem. Nothing makes any sense, and it doesn't make any more sense. I'm really shocked. I never thought they would even attempt to bring any of this stuff back. I just yeah. posted this morning no, I agree. that they are releasing a vaccine, or they're working on one for this new variant. They already claim it's effective, and they've done all kinds of testing at except you never get to see any of it. I never see any of the testing explained. And now they're working on a triple combo vaccine, COVID, RSV, and the flu. And do we think this is somehow safe? Has this been tested like this? That's a pretty big toxic load all at once. That's for sure. I mean, even with my dog, so it needed rabies and the other vaccine that... um, Dogs have to get, I forget which one. Bordella? I don't know. It was was funny, but but they're like, he's a small dog and he's old. Let's do one at a time. You know, we don't do that with our kids, though. No. We give infants up. Yeah, that's awful. I'll I'll come back and pay a second visit to avoid him getting overloaded. Yeah. He's a a nine poodle. Can't take much. Right. And he's old, he's only yeah. 17. So that, to me, that, that vet made sense saying that. Yes. Hey, we can do them both. I would recommend two different times. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. That sounds logical. Uh, all right. So the shop's busy. That's good to hear. Uh, it's a weird economy. Uh, nothing I look at makes any sense whatsoever. I keep thinking something's going to make sense out of this, and it just doesn't. Um, prices are moving in weird directions. You know, fuel is $4.54 a gallon right now nationwide. Any other time wow. we were over four, it was all anybody talked about. But this time it's like nobody's even paying attention. No, and gasoline prices aren't changing any either. It's been hovering in my area 
369 to 389. Yeah. Kind of well, in, in between that, depending on the you're at. You know, I think back in history, the times we went over $4 a gallon, it was usually because you were already up in price for whatever reason. It was summer, who knows. Then you'd get a hurricane and it would disrupt the supply chain for a while. So the price would spike. And when we were over $4, that seemed like the, the crisis point. You know, everybody started talking about how expensive fuel was. And, and this time, I just don't hear anybody really talking about it. Mm-mm. No, I think everyone just accepted it and can't change it. And it'd be so simple to bring the price of fuel down. I mean, that's one thing we oh, can control here. Oh, absolutely. And we still haven't refilled the uh, strategic reserve. It's the mm-hmm. lowest it's been since the 80s, I think. Mm-hmm. And, yep. it, it, and we can with our own oil. Right. It, we need to do it with our own oil. And, and, you know, we should have done it when prices were back down, but we didn't. So even if we do it with all, our own oil, it still costs us when we do it when fuel is and oil is this high because that's oil we could have produced and sold for the money instead. So no matter what, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's bad timing. Should have never been taken out for the reason it was. It was only taken out to control the price. That's not what it's there for. It's the, not, they manipulated right. the price by taking oil out of the reserve. That was an artificial supply, and it didn't last. We, we did that for nothing because now we're back to high prices and the, the reserve's empty. Yeah. What is, I mean, that's just a short fix. Yeah, and it made it even much a, worse. Right. Yeah, it wasn't even a fix. It's just a, a PR stunt. Yeah, boats. Yeah, yeah. So here we are again with fuel prices climbing. No end in sight on that, and the reserve's basically empty. So I guess one of the reasons why I'm shocked that people aren't talking about this more is we might— you know, you and I can't do anything about the price. Our government certainly could. They're not going to. But the people we talk to can do something about their total fuel cost by maintaining the truck better and modifying the truck better and driving the truck better and buying their fuel better. And the more expensive fuel gets, the more important those things are. And nobody seems to be really paying much attention this time. And, and rates are down. I just talked to a, a local customer that was hauling containers that end up is not hauling containers anymore because he wasn't making any money at it. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not going to be much better with anything else. I mean, he'll make a little more if he goes over the road, but those rates are, um, the spot market rates are down and costs are up. Uh, it's a tough time to operate right now. So you really should be focused on efficiency. You know, when rates were through the roof, We even said then, just go run, just go get freight and make money. You don't have to pay attention to a whole lot right now other than just run as many miles as you can with these kind of rates. We were even saying, yeah, you probably should be driving faster. You know, still manage your speed, but when rates are this high and there's plenty of freight, just go work. When we get in the opposite cycle where rates aren't as high and there isn't as much freight, well, that's when you really take a step back and say, okay, what can I do to work on my expenses now? And hopefully you've got some cash there to be able to do it. Uh, but that's where the, the focus should be put right now on business. We can't control the rates. Looks like we're going to head into a recession at some point. 
Uh, so now's the time to really focus on expenses. And I don't see many people doing that. And they have to. Yeah, sure and, looks and, like it. And maintenance, you know, getting the truck ready, fuel mileage, slowing down. Um, all, all those are fairly easy things you can do without spending a lot of money to increase profit. Yeah. Yeah. And then some of the low hanging fruit. I mean, we have some fuel mileage stuff that, you know, it costs a little bit. And I've even helped people where you lay it out where, you know, we're going to buy the cheapest thing we can buy to get, you know, a couple of tents extra. And we know that you're getting a couple tents, which means you'd be able to save this much every week without changing your lifestyle. And then all you have to do is save that for this many weeks and then you can buy this modification. And then we just do it again. And you just keep repeating that. And you really don't have to take any money out of your pocket if you do this right. Mm-hmm. So if yes, anybody has any smart way to questions today, this is this is the time and place. If you've got fuel mileage questions, we've got answers. Um, I wonder if uh, Bruce. Hello? Oh, Bruce, there you go. He's just coming back to check on you. Yeah, I'm okay. Um, I'm on a cruise with the classic Hatteras Rendezvous, and we're in the southern tip of Nova Scotia, and the captain came on to tell us about the hurricane and said, don't worry, this is the safest place to be, but I happen to be up in the bow of the ship, so guess what goes up and down the most? <laughs> anyway, um, they, they said they managed to. <laughs> we're going to Halifax tomorrow, and then up to... Uh, well, we're not going to St. John. Not oh, we were going to St. John, and now they just canceled that. So, so who knows? We may be lost at sea. Got it. Good morning, Debbie. I heard you the, back there. Uh, good morning. <laughs> so anyway, um, I got a, a text or a message on Messenger from uh, a fellow that wants to. He just apparently bought a used four and a quarter B cat and the screws are turned all the way out and wants to know how to set them. And, and he wants to give it power, but he wants it to be idiot proof. And my answer is, uh, if you're going to put a driver on, you want it to be idiot proof. First of all, I wouldn't hire a driver that had, had an idiot proof truck. Because my belief is when you decide you want to be a truck driver, you're going to drive the truck and read the gauges and drive responsibly. Um, but second of all, then just leave it absolutely stock. And on a four and a quarter B, that's between 20 and 22 pounds of turbo boost. So, Bruce, what, you know, when we talk about drivers and, you know, trying to kind of really protect the engine, there aren't a lot of people left anymore that have driven mechanical engines. And that is a big, big difference from even the early electronics. Even the earliest electronics had, you know, what we call the babysitters on them. It had protections from low coolant, low oil. You don't have any of that stuff in a mechanical engine. You have to drive them very, very different. You know, we're, we, we're, we're now talking about RPM ranges on Class 8 trucks cruising at 900 RPM. If we go back to mechanical engines, you need to double that number. We're, we talk about 16, 17, 1800 RPM on mechanical engines, and, and you can't lug them down like that. You'll just about destroy them. So it, it's, it's pretty risky putting anybody in a mechanical engine these days. Right. Now, now again, he didn't say, I did uh, send him a message, and I asked, is there going to be a driver on this truck, or is it going to be you? So, anyway, yeah, I right. had my catalyst message for the weekend. 
Hey, one one more thing um, before you get to that on the hurricane and before you came on, Pete and I were talking about fuel prices and things that disrupt. And um, I thought I saw something this morning. I didn't have time to read it, but there's a big refinery up there somewhere and it's heading for it. And they're thinking that we may have a, a fuel disruption. And prices are already pretty darn mm-hmm. high. I mean, we're at four fifty a gallon right now. Yeah, that would fit into the Biden regime's plan yeah. for us, right? Sure does. Oh, speak. Let me jump in with this. Since we're talking about that and uh, the the big green new deal, they're trying to cram down our throats. Have you been watching what's going on with Nikola again? What a disaster this company is. No. So we've talked about this company from the beginning. The original CEO is in court and and facing criminal charges um, for fraud and all kinds of stuff from the beginning. I can't even keep up with that one. But recently, these things, there are Nikola trucks out on the road now. This is the hydrogen electric model. And I guess these things are catching fire all over the place. I can't even keep track of how many stories I read. Uh, This one claims it's the fourth battery fire as their stock price drops below a dollar a share again, and they're recalling these trucks already for fires. These things are catching on fire a lot. Wow. Well, this is what happens. If you bought a new electric car, would you want to put it in your garage? No, not anymore. Not, not after, you know, I was a pretty big proponent of the electric. I, I see a future in it. Um, but we're going to screw it up. We already are screwing it up really, really bad. And that's the shame. I, I do think there's a, a big future for this technology. There's been some, there was a pretty big breakthrough. I think it's, um, oh shoot, who was it? Was it Meritor? It was Meritor. Somebody just announced a new electric motor design, radically new, that doesn't use any kind of exotic metals. That's a pretty big advancement forward. Uh, if we ever get a you know solid state battery, which a lot of companies are working on, those would be big things. But we are just totally screwing this up with all the government money. What a mess we've made of this. Okay. Well, here's some good news. Good. What do you got? A friend of mine that I met in 2015 inherited a 1979 53-foot Hatteras motor yacht from his parents who deceased, but was in bad shape. But uh, this fella is a shoulder and knee surgeon, does all his own work himself. Uh, He's a car guy. He's a boat guy, and he's a surgeon. He's 70 years old, just retired, and now he's teaching at the hospital in Philadelphia. And last fall, he bought a gallon of catalyst from me for his 1979 8V71 Detroits. And he rebuilt those engines in 2015. Can you imagine a, wow. sur- a surgeon rebuild his own engines in a boat? Wow. He also redid an XKE. It was a basket case, an old uh, mid 60s XKE, and it was stunning. I was looking at pictures last night, and it sold for 265000 The car was that perfect. Where, where do you get parts anyway, to rebuild those get, engines? Very <laughs> I would call Pete. Yeah. I'd say Pete Sharp. Give parts. me parts. I, that's got to be a little bit <laughs> of a challenge. Find anything. It's in North America. It's in North America. Pete will find it. 
Yeah. So anyway, once I tell Pete I need something, I just Peter Sean, my Sean's our parts guys. I just tell him what I need, and I forget about it because now they take care of it. But uh, on uh, on a flybridge on a boat when you're going ten knots, which is about twelve or fourteen hundred RPM for that Detroit's, you're going slow enough that the exhaust and the smell can circulate and come back up onto the flybridge. And he told me that ever since they've owned this boat, they had that smell of burnt diesel fuel. And the first trip with the max mileage fuel borne catalyst, the smell is gone. Wow. That's pretty and crazy. That a guy sitting beside us, he's a, he's owned a marina his entire life in uh, New Jersey, central New Jersey, and he just sold it. And he has two C-12 cats in a sport fish boat. And now uh, he said, man, get me two gallons of that. So it does work well in marine. Excellent. Let's see what else. That's, that's all I have for now. I've kind of been out of touch. I will be in the office, God willing, and brings this boat back to Newark, New Jersey, and the airplane takes us back to Pittsburgh. I'll be at the shop Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. All right. There you go. Uh, do we have anything else? Did I have any notes? I don't think I had anything today. Uh, just the Nicola thing. Hey, Kevin. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things a lot of people, um, you know, about the catalyst will say, well, I have an older engine. I really don't need it. And this is just proof that you still do. And let's face it, those old engines weren't very efficient when it comes to combustion. Correct. Yeah, even the mechanical no. engine. And our 96 Dodge dually that I would take to truck shows, it was set up pretty hot. It was 180 horse factory. We brought it up to about 450. It had a light haze to it all the time. And once I started running catalyst, that haze went away. And again, it's just simply through complete combustion. Well, yeah, there's the point, really, if we think about it. This was developed to, to help save the emissions from soot and, and particulate. And the way to do that is to burn the fuel more completely. I mean, that, that's, that's almost the goal of everything we do when we start modifying an engine, right? If we want, we put on fleet air filters to get more airflow for what reason? More air gives us better combustion. We, you know, build nice, clean, straight exhaust with, you know, flow-through mufflers so we don't have back pressure because that improves combustion. Virtually tuning, you know, timing. Everything we do is to try to burn as much of that fuel as possible because unburnt fuel is particulate and soot. Now, prior to emissions, we, we didn't care as much about that. We should have. And we did because we're looking for efficiency. We know the more of that fuel you burn, the less wasted energy there is. I mean, that's just logical. So we've always looked at soot numbers in oil samples. How low can we get that soot number? You know, the, the lab is not going to flag soot till it gets up probably around the four or five range. And not point four, point four point something. That's when the lab will start to flag it because that's when it can start to do damage to the engine. It, it's hard for the oil to keep that much soot dispersed, so soot becomes abrasive in the engine, just like dirt. So that's really what the lab is looking for. But we were looking at samples and saying, you know, your soot is 1.2. That's just a sign you're not completely burning the fuel. So let's go try to improve that. 
You know, the Detroit, we've always said, if your Detroit isn't running at less than 0.1 on soot, there's still something you can improve. So we've really always focused on that that burn rate. And you're right, any engine will benefit from a, a catalyst that changes the way the fuel burns and burns it sooner and more completely. That was the whole point of this. So any engine benefits from that. Uh, especially the old ones like that. I mean, for a different reason, we're not looking at emissions right. in the sense of a GPF or an SCR, but if we're making it more efficient in cleaning up combustion, the engine's got to last longer. We yeah. have to have carbon packing on the, the, the pistons. Uh, we're not going to have the smoke. And in that case, you know, I know he's not worried about emissions as far as getting pulled over, but who wants to be on a flybridge and smell smoke? <laughs> yeah, not, exactly. Um, right. All right, let's. Uh, so, oh, back, go ahead, Bruce. I want to mention something about liner protrusion. Uh, Mark Binsledge uh, bought a 2WS Reman Cat engine right from Caterpillar. And I think he went about 200,000 miles, lost a head gasket. So whenever they pulled the head off, it was done under warranty. Uh, he had them check line of protrusion, and it was at four thousandths. Well, to increase that line of protrusion, you have to pull the liners out, so it's just like rebuilding the engine again. So they assured him that it was going to be okay, but he knows that it's, it's not. And he has talked to two other people with factory reman Caterpillar engines that are having the same issue, low line of protrusion. Now, in the book, four thousand sounds good, but... We know and we have done 1,000s over what the manual calls for about 45 years now, and it works. When you think of the Cam Cummins, we could run those at 800 horsepower and have three heads that are moving on top of that engine and not blow head gaskets. There's a reason why we go 1,000th over maximum protrusion so if the book falls for three to six we go seven if it's calling for two to five we go six whenever you're getting your engine rebuilt always tell them you want one thousandths over the maximum factory setting bruce how many years are you going to have to tell people this why, why does this continue to be such an issue because everyone says, I've got a really good mechanic, and they just let them go. And a lot of them don't even have the tool to cut the upper counterbars. Yeah, I, I just, I, I can't. Is what this new tool costing? We, we wore out one counterbore cutting tool over the years. Pete, what's the new one costing, and what do we have to go through to get all the parts for it? So the, the tool itself was seven grand. Oh. And then we have to buy the, the separate. Yeah. Expensive. Oh. And then that other one was. 40 years old, I bet. Right, Bruce? Does it sound right? It was here when I got here. It's about 40. And I, you know, like Bruce said, it was, you know, years ago, him and I were out in the road cutting counterbores, <laughs> plus what was cutting in the shop, which was one or two rebuilds a week. So, I mean, we got our money's worth out of the machine. It finally just wore out, and it was reconditioned one time, uh, you know, freshened up, and, and it, that made a big difference, but it just wasn't cutting accurate enough. Yeah. And new ones cutting spot on. Wow. What a difference the new machine makes. You know, that, that's what there I mean. really a, a, no, that was, but that was was $7,200 for the tool. There, then you had the different cutting plates. Weren't they separate, Pete? 
They were separate. Yeah, I don't know what those RAM. We had to get those separate for the Detroit and and 14s and the ISX. As much work as you guys have put into this, you figured it out. You know what works. You've been talking about it, not for years, for decades. And yet this still seems to be an issue. That just seems crazy to me. Yeah. People just don't get it. It's still an issue. Just it's the same way as the torsional dampers. Yeah. People still mechanics still don't understand that, and uh, and people take their truck in for vibrations and shaking and things breaking, and uh, all everybody forgets to talk about the torsional damper. Yep. All right, let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, good morning. Howdy. What's on your mind um, today? I got a couple of comments. Well, I got a couple of comments now. The, the reason the strategic oil reserve is not full is because somebody's tired and they're going to bed. Yeah. And <laughs> you think yeah, you think uh, you think Caterpillar would just learn as many times as it's happened on liners dropping? Why don't we just add a little bit before we put it together? Yeah. Maybe they're not mm-hmm. as smart. Maybe they just want to do. Maybe a lot of those engines may get passed. Oh, you're out of warranty, so you got to pay again. Maybe they just like it like that. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. you wonder. Okay. It's just not Caterpillar. <laughs> Detroit has the same issue with their reman engines. Sometimes they're at zero, and that just doesn't work. Yeah. Hey, Paul, so, I was I was just going through looking for notes, and I saw you're going down a two-lane highway, 270 in Oklahoma, and then there all of a sudden, you're on the radio. Magic. <laughs> I'm everywhere <laughs> sometimes. I get around. So. Every, day yeah, I, I've been, every day I kind of know what Paul. I've been, doing, I've been doing a lot of two-lane trucking since last Thursday. So I went out to West Texas. I spent quite a bit of time on two-lane and then cutting back through. And I came back in on Highway 71 into Austin. Oh my God! It, it's like a desert on the west of Austin. That they're in a severe drought out there. It's crazy. So, well, I've been out that way for a couple of years, but it's like ah, drought stricken. So, um, so, so Paul, when you're on when you're on two lanes, are you uh, a little slower, or you do drive the same speed? Uh, if it's after I put up yesterday, I was cruising at sixty two, but. If the road's good enough and the traffic's flowing, I'll, I'll just cruise along at that speed. But I don't like the traffic stacking up behind me. So even if I got to slow down where there's room for other people to get past, I'll do that or pull over. So, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> last night I camped out in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and I've been losing a little bit of coolant lately. Well, I'm not 100% sure where it's going yet, but I've, I've got some clues now because uh, it went down to about 65 degrees, which is the coolest temperature I've seen for the last couple of months. And I didn't even need air conditioning last night. So, But when I get up this morning, I had quite a bit of coolant on the right-hand frame rail, but like. I'm I'm going to go do a petro today and get a lube job, but I'm going to see if I can get down in their pit. The hoses that go back past the transmission, is that just the hoses that go for the, the bunk heater? Probably. Yeah, I would right think so. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I, I think I got one leaking back there somewhere, but I had to put 
about three quarters of a gallon of coolant in this morning, or at least half a gallon anyway, but there was a lot of coolant uh, laying in the in the right-hand frame rail there, so it pays to do a pre-trip. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I don't think enough people do that. Go ahead. Was the hose leaking? Well, I, I where, where I could feel it, it wasn't, there's a rubber hose and then it goes into a steel into a steel line or aluminum. I'm not sure which, but the clamp there was tight and it wasn't wet there. But the coolant seemed to be coming from further back. Well, this thing's kind of hard to get under. But if I get down there, the Petro to get a lube job, I get in the because it's kind of impossible to get under the right hand even for a little guy like me. I guess I'll have a look later. So, all right, all right, that's all I got. All right, that's all we okay, need. Thanks. Let's uh, let's go to Iowa. Ooh. Lyle, welcome. Hello, how are you today? Good. What's on your mind? I guess we're looking at an oil sample. Let me take a look and see what we got here. We are. I need to give you some history, though. Good. Go ahead. Um, put a piston through the block and had to have a new engine built. It's a ISX 15, so I had a totally new engine put in it. That's been 170,000 miles ago. And the air pump started to quit correctly, pumping air, and uh, started losing a lot of oil. Took me some time to figure out that it's going through the air pump. That's where my oil was losing because it was coming out the air dryer. Well, I sent in an oil sample, the previous one. If you look at the previous one, and they called me immediately and said, you need to drop that oil because you've got wear metals and all kind of piston stuff and everything. So I immediately pulled into a parking lot and uh, changed the oil and dumped the filters. I didn't have a filter with me, so I dumped them and then put them back on. And when I got home, I changed the filters, but I figured out that my air pump was going bad, and it was putting the trash in my engine since it uses the same oil. So it took me a little bit to get a pump. I got a pump. I replaced the pump, and then I immediately dropped the oil and changed all the filters because I felt like the pump was where that trash was coming from that was in my engine and not the new engine. I mean, that was alarm because of that. So this oil sample is actually the second oil sample from that time, but they lost an oil sample. We never could find it. So this is the second oil sample after my air pump trashed. So it's got a high lead content. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. So with the question I don't know is, what that's about. is that lead coming from, we're talking about the compressor, right? Is the lead coming from there, from the engine? And we've talked about this in the past, right. Pete, that, you know, the, the compressor is kind of like a mini engine. It's got a lot of the same parts, so it's mm-hmm. got a lot of the same metals, And this can be an issue. We don't see it all that often, though. I mean, I I really don't see a lot of contaminated oil samples that we trace back to the compressor, but it happens. Is there any way for us to kind of test and identify this? I mean, he does have high lead for this engine. It's 19. Um, How many miles were on that oil when we got this reading? I don't see any miles. I think right at 30,000. Hmm. Or closer to 50,000 because we missed an oil sample in between that they couldn't find. 
Okay. So I'm thinking there's closer to 50 on it. At, any thoughts, Pete, Bruce? How do how do we isolate this and, and figure out if this is the compressor or if we need to be concerned about the engine? Well, I mean, generally, there would be indications of other issues such as um, slow to pump up, oil in the air dryer, stuff like that would indicate it's an air compressor. If all that's acting normal and you're not pushing oil, um, like you said, it's rare that we see an air compressor do that, but it, it can. But it'd be almost impossible other than changing the air compressor to isolate it. That's what I'm thinking. Hmm. Well, now I've, put, I've got a new air compressor on now. Oh, okay. There is a new air compressor. And, okay. And, and you, yes. And then I dropped the oil after I put and, that on and, because I hadn't changed but, the filter. So I dropped the oil and put new oil and new filters on it after I put that new but, compressor on. But we don't have a sample after that, correct? This is the sample after that. Oh. Oh. And we think that How after the... How many miles are on this sample? We think about 30,000, right? I would change right, thirty or forty. I change the oil and filters. I change the oil and filters now and resample ten thousand. That's right. after you did your oil change with the new air compressor. How many miles did you go before you put the first gallon in? Uh, nearly stopped all my oil consumption. So actually, I haven't put a gallon in yet. Okay. All right. Since I put on the new compressor, I would. I would just drain the oil, do an oil change, and let's start all over again now. Because if, if that engine was contaminated, changing the oil will help, but we've got to now flush it out. Yeah. Right. I, okay. I agree. I think all we can do now is wait for the next sample. Okay. So I'll drop the oil and do that. So I've got an ECM question as well that is related. I've been getting all kinds of codes. Now, this is a 2000 Cummins with the ISX Signature Series 600. And so it's been throwing all kind of ECM codes, never consistently the same one, different ones. And there's been a miss. If I set an idle, it'll miss, set there and not run smooth. And then I lost the left half of my dash. In other words, my oil pressure, my boost, and oil temperature, water temperature, all that kind of stuff, as well as my speedometer and odometer. Now, my question was, is there a good way to clean the ECM connections? Because I tried that, and I got some of them back, and I'd had my dash sent off and had it rebuilt, so it was supposedly okay, and I got a lot of them back for a little bit, and then they would flash on and flash off. I've been fighting with this long enough. I've lost 40,000 on my odometer. So two questions. One is there a good way to clean the ECM connections, female and male? And number two, is there a way to reset the odometer uh, on the dash to equal what it should be? Can you get to our shop? Can you get to our shop? Can you get to our shop in Saxonburg, Pennsylvania? Uh, it would take me a bit, but I could, yes. I've got some loads booked for the next several weeks. But I could, that would I could. be my suggestion, num number one. Number two is Pete being Leroy's on vacation. If JR is not on the phone, you want to get him on the phone and see if he can answer this question? Yeah, so but uh, what I would do first, uh, we use brake clean um, to clean the connectors and put dielectric grease on it. 
clean all your grounds, you know, battery, um, alternator, starter. Um, sometimes we even add grounds from the battery to the frame, frame to the engine. That's where all the easy stuff. It kind of sounds like an ECM, but you don't want to jump to that because, of course, that's the most expensive option. So let's do the easy stuff first and see if that corrects anything. Okay. That, that's something you can do yourself, you know, clean the grounds again, clean the connectors again, um, and see if that makes any difference. Um, something else you can do is, uh, well, the truck's idling, no codes are on, wiggle some wires, see if a code, uh, uh, you know, comes up. If it does, then we know it's a wiring issue. Okay. Could that be the yeah. best too, if we have a loose connection mm-hmm. going to the actuators oh, sure. or whatever? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I heard Paul mention a minute ago about coolant, and I don't know what truck he's driving. Is he driving a Volvo? No. Uh, on my Volvo, oh, I've got two metal lines that, that go back by the frame, and it rubbed the hole in one from the frame and ate out underneath where I couldn't see it. I had to replace those metal lines on mine. So I don't know if that... Got it. All right. It should be neat. Yeah. Paul, I mean, pressure test the coolant system and see where it's coming from. Yeah. Shouldn't be a hard, you know, especially that it was that bad, uh, should be easy to find. There you go. Hey, uh, we're going to head off to Nebraska. Bruce Marks here. Mark, welcome. Well, it's trying to get him in here. My system seems to be hung up. Mark, are you there? I think he's trying to talk to us, but uh, let me refresh things. Why aren't things working all of a sudden? There we go. Mark. Hello, Kevin. Can there you hear me? Now you're here. Go ahead. All right, fellas. Yeah, I thought I'd chime in on that liner protrusion issue a, few, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week. My uh, 2WS at 85,000 had a head gasket start leaking, and I made them document the liner protrusion on every cylinder so that I, I had proof, you know. And actually, the tallest liner protrusion was three thousandths. Most of them are at two, and a couple of them are from one to three with two thousandths tilt. So naturally, I started raising hell about it. Their answer was, "It's within cat spec. We can't do anything." So it's like Paul to Paul's point. You know, they're hoping they can kick it down the road until I'm out of warranty, and then you know, now you need a liner kit. But I can, I'm able to extend my warranty in March if it doesn't go south by then. However, you know, as we all know. There's going to be more issues, and I heard the guy call in with the excessive blow-by, and I have the tank on mine also, and it's starting to do that, and I'm I'm pretty sure it's because of that, the liner protrusion, and eventually the head gasket's going to go, and so that's I'm also monitoring my oil samples real close, and I sent you guys the last one. But it's frustrating with with CAT because you would think a company like that would have a Put together a more quality product. I mean, at eighty-five thousand miles, can you believe that those protrusions are that low? No, we don't normally see them drop that much. So, to me, it, it was low from the beginning, and, and not true. You're not all at three or four or five. It's it's cattywampus where one side's at two and the other side's at four or whatever it might be. That's not good machine work on their part. Correct, and I'm like. The liner sits on top of the block. Why don't they just put the thinner deck plate on it? That would have given them an extra three. I never thought to ask that question, but I will next time because, you know, it's a matter of time. I think I'm at about 130 now on this engine. And because 
you know, if you would have done that, your ones that are three would have been at six, and that would have made a big difference for you. Always keep in well, mind, everybody that has a caterpillar, a cat does make a deck plate that's 3,000 thinner to help raise that liner protrusion. Well, but I'm more sensitive to the tilt liner tilt, Bruce. If you remember, my ISX went south at 420,000. The liners tilted and ruined the block, and that's why Kevin, I have a 2016 579, and we put a cat in it. We made a we made a glider kit, which now they call an assembled truck. So it's a 22 with a 992 WS. But my my whole Cummins was ruined at 420 because of liner tilt. Oof. So. Uh, I'm yeah, I, don't know how the liner, I don't know how the liners can tilt on that caterpillar. I don't know how that happens. Well, one well, would be where some would be where and some would be, maybe it wasn't true from the beginning. Either the liners or the X surface wasn't true. Right. So I and just again, have to keep it in warranty. Yeah. You'd never get an answer from cat from how it was. I mean, that would be nice if they would give you that when you bought the engine, Hey, here's where the liner protrusion is. But of course they're never going to do that. Right. No. So, yeah, I'm just going to keep monitoring it, and that's the first sign of coolant or another oil leak of the head gasket. You know, it's going to have to go in, and I, I just have to extend my warranty until we can get this thing uh, redone the right way. And I've been able to manage to have a uh, find a guy at a cat shop who is sympathetic to my cause, and he's going to probably help me if, we, if we're borderline on anything. Hopefully we can get it covered under warranty and everything redone to six thousandths in the right way and and then i'm good to go but until then just have to monitor it now keep you guys informed all right yeah. sounds good okay uh, this almost never happens on this show but we're just uh wrapping up the first hour we're out of calls right now oh there's one coming in i had to figure somebody would be calling usually we uh we have a lot more calls so i'll let you know we uh we have lines open We'll hang out here as long as you've got questions. Pick up the phone and join us. 855-950-3835. Jump in. We've got lines open. We've got time. Um, We've got one call we're screening right now. We'll get to that here in just a minute. Uh, Anybody have anything else on their list? I'm looking through mine. I didn't have a whole lot today. I have been... uh... Go ahead, Bruce. Ben just Ben Walter, he's the fellow that calls in. Remember the Mac that had the real screwed up exhaust system a couple of years ago, and we I sent you pictures of. And Ben calls in now with a lot of questions on the 3406B and the 89 International. He just sent me pictures of he found a water filter on the engine, and apparently nobody has changed it because it is plugged. Solid. I've never seen a water filter plugged solid. I'm going to forward these to you, Kevin. Wait a minute. I may. I may have them, Bruce. Uh, Yeah, I have two. That was a water filter. Yes. What happened? I was wondering if he had. Well, my thought was at some point it had oil in the coolant system, and no one ever changed the water filter. Is what it looks like to me. It would have to be something yeah. like that. I, I can't imagine. I've never seen a water filter look like that. I haven't no. cut a lot of water filters open, but I, I that can't be good. You know, especially since coolant should be pretty clean. It's a sealed system. That's why we never really worry much about coolant being dirty. It's just not usually. And 
that's just bizarre to see that kind of gunk. Man, what has that done to the rest of the yeah, system? Normally, when you're looking at that, when you're looking at that filter, you see the WF two zero seven four water filter. Got it. The WF water filter. Yeah. LF is lube, lube filter. filter. What's the other one, Pete? Fuel. So F- FFS. So fuel filter, fuel separator. Got it. And that would be Fleet Guard using those numbers. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else does, but Fleet Guard so, uses those abbreviations. So all I got were the pictures. I, I've got nothing on what engine this is, how many miles, what went wrong. What, do we know anything about all this? We do not. 3406B. Oh. Yeah. Huh. So we go back to this water filter issue. If this truck, you know, started life with green coolant and a, I'm going to guess it started life with green coolant and a water filter that you changed, not because we need to filter stuff, but because we need to recharge the additives. And, you know, if this thing then gets changed to red and you don't really need to change the filter anymore, how long was this filter on there? Do we know that? Or is this truck still no. on green coolant? I mean, we don't even know that. It could have been on green coolant. And that filter, it, isn't it on green coolant? It is in every like 15,000 miles you're supposed to change that filter? Correct. With the DCA in it to, right. you know, the supplement to, to bring recharge. Up the yeah. Recharge. And, and if it's a red fuel or red coolant, um, you can put a blank filter on it. It's just a filter right. medium. There's no additive in it. Hmm. And really, the only thing you should pick up would be some debris from the block. You know, if you had um, the casting starting to deteriorate right. a little bit, you get some debris in there, that kind of stuff. Right. Obviously, a water filter is not really necessary because we run a lot of engines now without them. I've never really understood the whole filter thing in that system. It doesn't seem to be all that necessary other than we used it to recharge the additives. But we have a lot of trucks that just don't have it at all. So they, they did away with them for a while, and they're starting to come back. I'm seeing more trucks with them now. Than yeah, that's. I wonder what that's all about, because I've noticed that too, but I haven't really seen any reason why they're bringing them back. I know we had an issue with the, the Dodge pickups. The thermostat would stick open, and it was because of debris from oh, the casting. Okay. So your fix would be flush the cooling system out, put a new cooling in there, put a new and then have a thermostat, filter. and everything was fine. Got it. That would avoid you that if you had that filter there. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, the, well, the phone's lit up. I think everybody was sleeping before. Let's, uh, let's get to some calls because we've got a bunch now. We're going to go north of the border to Alberta. Ben, welcome. Are you guys talking about uh, my water filter? Oh, is that yours? <laughs> yes. I thought uh, if you'd see the pictures, it might be better to talk about it since you see them. Oh, yeah. It, it, the pictures are um, are definitely noteworthy. Never, I can't imagine that I would ever see a water filter that looked like that. Well, anyways, good morning, everybody. But, good morning. Uh, so, remember I talked to you guys last week about uh, the coolant system on this 3406B? And uh, anyways, Bruce, I called the shop and you were on vacation, so I talked to Brian, and Brian suggested I do the thorough flush 
cooling, coolant. And I did the thorough flush, and this is what came out of the uh, in the filter when I cut it open. Okay. And I am wondering. Hey Ben, first of all, I'm never on vacation. And if you want to think I'm on vacation now, I'm doing the radio show. I just happen to be on a cruise ship. <laughs> but that's right. I'm just taking a that's break. Right. But, but I return emails and phone calls uh, 365 days a year until 9 o'clock at night. So, Yeah. Yes, you yeah, do. that's right, Bruce. And I appreciate what you do. I really appreciate what, you, what you're doing for us. So anyways... That stuff there, if you'd, if you'd uh, uh, grab some of it off of the filter and rub it between your fingers, that would be like, it would just dissolve in water and, and it would cloudy the water. So I really can't describe what it is or what it, it you know, it's not oil, it's not, uh, maybe it's, I don't know, one it's of the, just cloudy, it just dissolves in water. Um, you could send it in as a sample. You could send in a coolant sample, just like we send oil sample. They can analyze it. Um, you know, one of the things we've seen over the years is that when coolant mixes with other liquids, fuel, water, oil, we get weird results. You get, like, chemical reactions, it seems like. Pete, have you got a note? You just get gunk, and you're not really sure what's going on. Right, yes. That seems to be it, a thing it with coolant. Look like anything you could put a, put your finger on. Now, hey Ben, how many miles were in that water filter? That's a brand new water filter I put it on a month ago. Ooh! But I thought okay. I should cut. But I thought I should cut it open since I did the flush, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Interesting. And that's what I come up with. And. Uh, there used to be green coolant in that system all its life. There was green in there, and it was never recharged because I've never heard that you should do it until I listened to you guys. Oh yeah, green. and uh, and now I put and now I put the red stuff in it. We after used to I did the flush. We used to wipe out a lot of blocks that it makes them unusable from cavitation when that green coolant isn't recharged. That's the whole point of recharging it. It's an additive that protects against cavitation is the biggest reason to do it. So I should probably change that uh, filter within a month and cut it open again. Yeah, I would. And at some point, at, at some point when you get this figured out and we no longer have a problem, I would switch the truck to red coolant. Long life. I don't care what color it is. Just long life. It, it is red. Oh, okay. Kevin. I put okay. the red stuff oh, in got it. Got it. I missed that. Sorry. And then while I did the flush, Bruce, I did uh, check the water pressure, the water pump pressure, uh, at the yeah. towards the towards the back of the block on the right side of the engine. Uh, at idle, it's got 12 PSI at 800 RPM, and then if you throttle it up to 1500 RPM, it's got 17 PSI. 17. I'm wondering if I'm wondering if this is the way this is supposed to be. 
Yeah, I don't have any yeah. effects on the um, water pump pressure. I, I know an N14 should be around 35 PSI, an NTC or an N14, but I, I don't know the numbers for a cat. Okay. I mean, so what do you suggest? Okay, well, I guess I'll leave it for now. I'm just using the truck as we speak, and when I pull the first load, I will check and see how the how the ten, the water temperature reacts after I did the flush. Yes, and that is yeah, that will tell me how how the system works. All right. Well, I guess this is another. Uh, one. I think we're going to have to wait. Up. Yeah. So the other question I have, Kevin. Go ahead, Bruce. What's that? It'd be nice if somebody else would check their water pressure that has a four and a quarter B. And what port did you use? On the right rear, on the passenger side, is it back by the water heater? Yes, it's right beside the the oil cooler. Uh, kind of, I'd say a little further. It's right at the rear of the block. That port that I use, it's right at the rear. It's okay. not. I'd say it's about five inches from the rear on the right side. And did, did you use an oil pressure gauge? Yeah, I just got a, a 60 PSI gauge from the auto parts store with quarter-inch pipe thread, and I threaded in a half-inch reducer, and I threaded that gauge in there, and then and the gauge reacted to the RPM as I was throttling it and accelerating and deaccelerating. But what I noticed when the when the water was uh, cooler, the pressure wasn't as high. But those pressures that I told you were at uh, 160 Fahrenheit. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, we've had a lot of weird ones today. One of those days. So I have another question on the. Um, oh boy, I forgot now what I was going to ask you. Oh, on the engine oil pressure sending unit. Uh, International sold me a sensor. It's a switch, pressure switch, and I cannot find the pressure switch on this engine. Like the mechan- the gauge inside the dash is a mechanical gauge. I can fa- uh, follow the oil line all the way to the gauge, but anywhere on the engine, I cannot find that switch that they sold me. So I cannot figure out why the light's on inside. It's a 9370 model international. I'm stumped on that one. Any thoughts? Yeah. I have no idea where it goes. We just don't see enough of the B model to know. Okay. Maybe somebody listening will call it. Yes, Your brother, is it brother or brother? Back when we when you started talking to us, thought you were crazy with all the changes you were making and trying different things. What are they saying now, especially when they see you checking water pump pressure? I don't know. They just they just watch me and walk away. I don't. They think you shouldn't have to do that. I, they're just <laughs> like take the catalyst and all that. I changed this truck over with with your fifty-two inch. Uh, quiet performance mufflers, and I wrapped uh, the exhaust pipe with heat tape, and I did all that stuff, and they think it's not necessary. Uh, how do you like those mufflers? 
they're very quiet. I just love them. You can really hear that that truck can breathe now. When you turn on the engine, the engine brakes, it um, it sounds much much more. You can feel it uh, even like when you roll down the windows, you can hear the engine is breathing more than with the stock motors. It's definitely a different. But it's quiet. I love the, the, the truck. It's quiet. I love those muffers so far. And when you're pulling a hill, do they give you, and your foot's in the throttle, do they give you a deep, mellow tone? I would say so. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever, at nighttime when you're pulling a hill or even in the daytime, do you ever crack the window to listen to the sound coming out of those mufflers? Every time, Bruce. Every time. It sounds like that sound is just unreal. Hey, hey, Bruce. Like that. Now that I don't have a muffler on my coach and I only have a couple feet of pipe, I I do that now so I can hear the jakes. <laughs> I get. Yeah, but while I'm driving, while I'm driving on the highway, my my boost gauge is only at five. But my exhaust gas temperature is at 750, so I'm wondering if this is the way it should be. Like the highest it goes, pulling ahead, it goes to 950. I'm thinking I'm maxed out. That's perfect. You're perfect. If you want to see the gauge go higher, put it in the exhaust manifold. Okay. Or if you want more, right. if you want more horsepower, what do you do? You have to adjust the screws on the pump. And tell us what turbo you have. Have you changed the damper on that cat? Yes, I I got a dampener from you guys. And uh, changed the motor mounts at the front. Changed the mufflers. The mufflers on the side, on the side of uh, there's there's two mufflers on this truck. And uh, what else did I change? Uh, pyrometer gauge, a Hewitt pyrometer gauge. Uh. Quite a few stuff, actually. Okay. And what's, it, what's your total boost on the hard pull? 21, 22. Okay. So it's, it's a good running stock four and a quarter. It, it, starts, it starts vibrating when you really start pulling it. I'm thinking, well, I haven't done the flyweights yet. I, I'm thinking if I do the flyweights, that should take care of that vibration at, at hard pull. I'm what hoping to the flywheel. What do you the flywheel? Flywheel. Yeah, in the pump he's referring to. In the, the time he's being flywheel in the pump. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That could certainly help. The flyweights in the pump and the timing advance. And the only only other issue I'm having, uh, Pete might know, is when the oil temperature warms up to say 120. The engine, you have to flick the full and half cycle switch back to half and back to full in order for them engine uh, brakes to work at full. But when the oil is cool, they work. I'm thinking they need rebuilt or something is going on in the valve. Yeah. After a rebuild, they should take care of that. Okay. Well, hopefully somebody listening will check their coolant water pump pressure, and then I will know where I'm at. See if we can get a report back on that. And the calls are 
piling up on us. We're going to have to move a little faster. Uh, we're off to South hey, Carolina. Terrence, welcome. Uh, uh, for Ben, I think last week someone called. Was that a cab over that he's talking about right now with that switch he bought? Because somebody called in last week or on a different show about that and told them where to look for it. So uh, and I'm sure if that whatever yeah. that's probably listening, yeah. if it's a cab over, the guy called no, in that. and told them exactly where it was. Yeah, and it's not a cab over. I've seen pictures of the truck. It's oh, okay. Okay, all right. All right, that's all I had. All right, guys, let them know what's going to All right. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, oh, that one's gone. Let's move along. Go to Pennsylvania. Brian, welcome. Good morning, guys. So uh, just real quick on the uh, exhaust stuff. Uh, Love the performance muffler. Ran it on both of my trucks. And I uh, had talked about doing a weed burner, but never did it until I got forced into it. I had to make room to mount my hydraulic tank in the rear and uh so i got your shorty muffler and i love the weed burner it's uh it's weird it's like it's it's quieter when you want it quieter with the windows up but it is loud when you put the windows down and you hear it echo off the pavement especially when you're going by a jersey barrier Uh, (laughs) but uh and then on the water filters does the Series 60 use a water filter? And where is it? You probably have set yeah, some of them had both, right? Yeah, they were remote mounted and generally on the right-hand side. Oh, remote mounted like it. Okay. All right. The, the, I, remember, run a hose uh, I remember a couple of my early Series 60. It was up near the right front of the really easy to get to, almost like right just a little behind the radiator in that area right there. Uh, but I've had a lot of Series 60s that okay. didn't have one at all. Oh, okay. And then, uh, Pete, you said even the, the blank ones still, ha- still have filtration media, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. So any debris that okay. might be in there, it's not going to charge anything, but it'll pick up any debris from the casting or just something that's in the coolant that shouldn't be in there. It'll pick it up. Okay. Yeah, I like that idea, but if uh, if you don't know it's there and you never change it, uh, that yeah, I could see that getting clogged solid even if you're running extended life well, coolant, especially if you aren't careful. Yeah, that's the thing, though. I've, I've I know it's I, if you if you think about uh, we could have a truck that has a filter and you're putting a blank in it, and I've seen people that just don't even know it's there, never change it. The coolant, the long life coolants are good for 600,000 miles. And I've seen filters that have been on the truck for a long, long time, and they never look anything like that. Something went really wrong. Right, right. That that was some sort of a weird Um, chemical reaction. We mixed two coolants that should, something went wrong in there to see that kind of sludge in that system. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hey, let, let, the reason let, I call back to your let's go back to your weed burner. Why didn't you use the quiet performance muffler in place of the shorty? Uh, why didn't I use the quiet performance for the weed burner? Yes. Um, uh, my mechanic did it and he just he, he didn't feel like there was room or maybe that he could support it well enough. And I'm happy with the shorty. Okay. Because okay. the shorty is 
is uh, almost like a glass pack. You know, it's, it's straight through. There's no baffles, and it's just made to take the harshness out where the quiet performance is made to really quiet it down but yet keep the flow going. Yeah, and, and I was surprised even with the shorty, it seems quieter with the windows up, with the direction the exhaust is going. It's not echoing off of the front of the trailer, the bat wings, the back of the mm-hmm. sleeper. It's it's on the opposite side of, of where I sit, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, Bruce, the reason I called. If you crack your window and if you crack your window and you're going up a hill, you can hear the engine work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's what you want to hear. And that's the complaint on right. brand new trucks. You can't make them. There's no noise. They're too quiet. Right. Right. Yep. Um, the reason I called Bruce, I wanted you to remind us when the owner operator snowmobile conference is. Okay, it's going to be at the Gateway Inn, Grand Lake, Colorado. You're the second question today on it. And let me bring up the. We will meet on Wednesday. Let me find my calendar here. It'll be February 28th. And then we'll okay. meet on Sunday, March the 3rd. If you're not familiar with Grand Lake, they do not plow the streets in the winter. And it's all beat down, so the snow's good. It's almost like ice. And you drive your sled to and from dinner. You can ride your sled right through town. Snowmobiling is their main source of income in the wintertime, so they love snowmobiles. And they have, uh, of all the places in Colorado, they have the most groomed trails for people that have never rode before. Groomed trails make it easier. And those of us that like to do the mountain riding uh, in the deep powder, they have plenty of that, too. The Gateway Inn is beautiful. It's nice. It's fairly new. There's plenty of parking. And like I say, once you arrive, uh, you never have to use your pickup or if you brought your semi-truck. You don't have to use it for the entire time we're there. Plus, there's a hot tub. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And it's plenty and I'm, of I'm just, Okay, yep. That's what I was just going to ask. I assume so if it's the snowmobiling capital. But, uh, yeah. Okay. February 28th. There you go. February 28th. And Josh... Schaefer, the mechanic at Turnaround Transport, uh, has a lot of the information, and so does Mike Lane. He's an owner-operator out of Ogden, Utah, plus me. So uh, the three of us work on these conferences. There you go. And it's a lot of fun. If you've never been there, after the day of riding, and we sit around the fireplace and have a drink and go to dinner and come back and sit around the fireplace, talk about snowmobiles, talk about trucks, and anything else. But it's a, it's a lot of truck conversation. Yeah, sure of it. Let's go to California. You can take the driver out of the truck, but you can't take the truck out of the driver. <laughs> That's and, right. And you're prime example, Kevin. Uh, you're yeah. prime example of cracking the window in a motorhome so you can hear the exhaust. That's yeah. right. right. <laughs> That's right. There's the, they, they were shocked down at Country Coach when – because remember, we didn't even kind of finish the exhaust. We didn't have time. So it was just a, a straight pipe there, just sitting there. So when I took it in this time, I said, I want you to finish the exhaust and run it back out through the right bumper. And they're like, well, do you want us to put a muffler on it? I'm like, hell no. And they said, you got to be kidding. And I'm like, 
no, have you listened to this thing? It sounds wonderful. They were kind of shocked at how quiet it is. Well, well you have two turbos eating the noise. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, so when I'm driving, I talked about this. When I'm driving at just normal driving, I can't tell any difference in sound from when I had that horribly packed uh, catalytic converter back there, and now I've got a straight pipe. I really didn't notice any sound difference. The only difference is before you couldn't hear anything when you activated the jakes. Now you hear that really nice rumble. It's kind of nice. Okay. I like it. Let's uh, let's keep knocking okay. out some calls here. Let's go to oh, – oh, hold on one second. I think I have too many calls on here. Hold on. I got to put uh, Bob. You may have me I, on there already. Uh, yeah, Bob, I'm putting you back in the queue because I already had Harold here. Harold, go ahead. <laughs> Quick comment on the fellow that was losing his gauges and lost his, his uh, odometer. Uh, I don't know. I didn't hear if he had a Packard product or not, but on uh, Peterbilt and Kenworth, they have a, a second ECM under the dash behind the, the uh, ashtray down there on the bottom that controls all the gauges. Um, and I know that because I lost one on my 07 uh, Peterbilt, and, and I had to go in, and, and it went back to zero on the odometer when I did that. So I, I didn't hear what he had. Uh, you know, He was the one that had replaced the engine on the X-15, I think, yeah. that had a piston go through there. He had a 2000 signature 600. But what, what kind of truck was it in, Bruce? Do you remember? I don't know, but I, I would assume it was either a Kenworth or a Pete. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. So so that problem with the gauges is probably, I, mean, I don't know what year it was. Uh, I don't know if, what, if he said it was a new one or not. Yeah, the, any anywhere from, oh, it was a 2000? Yes. Is that what it was? Then I'm not sure about that. Yeah. I know the 07s had two ECMs in there, but uh, on your on your mufflers, we had uh, I had bought six uh, 07 Peterbilts for car haulers, and one of the trucks kept blowing turbo seals, and we kept going to Peterbilt and the Caterpillar, and they just kept replacing the turbos. So I went to a fellow that I'd met down at Quinn Caterpillar. Uh, in probably 98, I met him, and he was the best cat guy I found until he passed away a couple years ago. But he immediately looked at the pipe coming out of there, and he goes, you got a clogged muffler. So we switched all of them over to the quiet mufflers. Those had the catalytic uh, converters on like Kevin's coach, I believe, originally. But we put all those on, and we never had another issue at all. And they were really nice. I, I like the sound of them. But uh, I know without anything on there going down the road, like you got Kevin, it it's, uh, doesn't make much noise. But when you put the Jake brake on, be careful. Don't do it in the cities. I got pulled over for that once before we it, put the quiet mufflers on there. Yeah, I actually <laughs> I probably need somebody to be back there in a, another vehicle near the back because when I'm way up front, it is just a nice soft rumble. It sounds great. It's probably a lot louder back there than, than I can tell. If you get next to the jersey wall and turn it on, you'd probably hear it a little bit better. A, a little bit, but it's it's still very different from what you're used to in a truck when they're you know your exhaust is really close to you. For me, it's it's forty five feet back. You really right. just don't hear much back there. Yeah. One one quick uh, comment here. The other day, I had a uh, this was a, a twenty twenty X X fifteen in here. 
and I had a low uh, fuel warning light come on, or low pressure warning light come on. Uh, actually, I had it come on a month ago, so I changed the pressure switch, and uh, then it came on again the other day, and I thought, what the heck? I thought it was a Cummins problem, but I had put the fast system on there at your place, Bruce, when I, and, and Pete, when I first bought this truck, and Pete gave me the serial number of the fast. I called fast and got it fixed, but it started... We had had them on the 07 trucks. We, this is, uh, we've had these fast systems for 15 years. And when the pumps quit, I would always be able to keep driving and, and it never hurt anything. But this one started leaking there where the wires go in. It started leaking fuel out of there. So I assume when the motor quit working, it was sucking air in there. And that caused the low pressure switch come on. So I, this happened to me Sunday. I was leaving to go to Sacramento out of Fresno and... I didn't get a mile from my house and it wouldn't run. So I, I went back to the house and I was thinking it was a engine problem. And then Paul called me and, and they, he said, it's probably that you're probably not getting fuel. So I had the original one filter that you had taken off when we put the fast on in my garage and I brought it back home. And after two or three hours of thinking about it, I figured that's what it was. So we brought, changed it that night and it's, it's working fine. So I ordered a new fast they're sending it to me under the warranty so <laughs> but the the tribe helped a lot without paul's uh nudge there i probably wouldn't have been, wouldn't have thought to do that good good glad it worked out <laughs> always appreciate the help you guys you you guys are full of good information and i appreciate it so much well, you're welcome Thank you. yes thanks for the Thank support you. let's uh let's go to new york this time bob welcome Oh, you're not going to hang up on me this time, are you? Uh, did I hang up on you last time? I did that once in a while. Actually, no, you didn't. You put me, you put me back on hold. Oh, there, yeah, you're right. Anyway, I, I wasn't paying attention. Way. I already had a call waiting for us there. <laughs> All right. Um, Bruce, the max mileage. I had the fuel at a truck stop that I really don't want to fuel at because it's B20, the biodiesel. Do we put it? Could we put a little more max mileage in it to help compensate for the crappier fuel? What engine? What year? ISX 2006. 2006. So that's probably been repaired, right? Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, why don't you try one and a half ounces to 25 gallons? and get back and let us know. I even had a guy run two ounces of 25 gallon whenever he got that kind of fuel and he really liked what he saw. Try try one and a half for one fill up and then the next fill up put two ounces of 25 when you're using that B20 and report back to us. Okay, I will. And you know when you guys report back, when you report back to us, you not only help us at Pittsburgh Fire, you help everybody listening. Yep. So feedback is always important. Okay. Also, my next question would be: I'm the one that has the the cold engine, if you will. I, I always run like right now. I'm running 175, um, driving down the road at 60 yeah. mile an hour. Um, would an oil would an oil thermostat cause this issue? Because my oil temperature is about one twenty five. Holy cow! Wow, that seems crazy low. 
how is that? That doesn't even seem like it would be possible. I know we can run two different temperatures with oil coolers, but that seems like a big spread between the two temperatures. Especially this time of the year. What I would yeah, I mean, how do, how do you run coolant at 175 and somehow manage to keep the oil at 125? Have you tested your gauges with a digital pyrometer yet? Yes, I have. The, the gauges the are right? Oil temp as well. It, yeah, the oil pan is what I did it to. And the oil pan, there was only like, it's only like three three degrees difference, three to five. Yeah, that's accurate then. So, I mean, at that point, I probably would change the thermostat in the oil cooler because it might be open and just bypassing constantly. Okay. Because it's not the only thing that we could, could do that. But at, even at that point, you're using 170 degree water temp to cool oil down. If the oil was colder, it'd actually bring up the heat some. That's kind of really weird, but I don't see what what other options you have other than changing the oil thermostat. Yeah, when I talked to Eric earlier, I guess I got one of the odd trucks because with uh, the programming that's in here, my fuel mileage actually gets I, when I run in direct or even the overdrives with the two sixty fours. I got to hang right around twelve hundred to get my fuel mileage. If I start getting up around the fourteen, where everybody suggests. My fuel mileage actually goes down by three quarters of a mile. Say, wait, say that again. What's happening? So, <laughs> you know how when we run direct or even 12th, 13th, when we're trying to get away from the, the tops and stuff uh, with 264 gears, everybody says to run right around 1,400 RPMs. When I get up around 1,400 RPMs and I ran it, and Eric's recommendation, I ran it for three weeks. And I actually dropped three quarters of a mile per well, gallon. Well, hold on, because we need to unpack this. Because first off, fourteen hundred as compared to what? Twelve hundred. Twelve hundred. So when you used to run twelve hundred, the engine. I I okay. Let me set up the scenario. I like running seventy mile an hour when I'm on the expressway. What I was running in is twelve gear, and I was right around fourteen hundred RPMs. The best I could get was 575 for fuel mileage. When I stick it in 13th and actually dropped it down to about 1200, 1175 to 1225, I actually went up above like six and a half. Well, that and may I, not. I'm hauling consistent loads on a consistent round. May not be surprising at all. And that's the what year? What's that, Bruce? What year is it? Oh, six. Year is it? Oh, six IXX. That's right. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I'm. What's, what's your boost? What's your turbo boost at that twelve hundred RPM when you're running seventy? About four. Whoa. Well, that's that's, that's why. See, that's perfect. Yeah, that, that's why. So that that isn't surprising. That that engine at twelve hundred is not really all that low. It's not a bad place to run it. So. That makes sense. I, I'm going back. Pete, am I, am I missing something on the oil cooler? How can the oil be cooler than the coolant? Right. That's why I asked if he, he tested the temperature, which he did, because you would think if the oil's that cold, the coolant then would load the heat back up. Right. If you right. Know, the it's, thermos it's, it was open. So I've always I've always understood these systems. They were designed so we could run the oil hotter than the coolant. But I didn't think there was any way to ever run the oil cooler than the coolant. 
even Bob Telling, the right. older ISX oil temp, and the thermostat did not open till two thirty or two thirty five. Right. It's something about. I, I think we have to solve this. It's like a mystery. How is this even occurring? And it, it might help with some efficiency if we get that oil temp up as well. Well, it should. But I, I'm still back to physics. How the the oil cooler is only being cooled by coolant, correct? There's not any real airflow that's doing anything. Correct. So I'm back to physics again. How how do you have a liquid at 170 degrees keeping another liquid at 125 degrees? Yeah, it's not making any sense. And it's I think we, an oddball problem. And I think before I tried to solve any of the other issues, we, we have to figure that out first. How is that even occurring? Well, that's yeah. what's got me baffled. The gauges are correct. So I've got another question for you. 70 miles an hour, at 70 miles an hour, four pound of boost at 1,200 RPM. And if you have your foot on the throttle, how far are you pushing on that throttle? My TBS is saying about 17 on the scan gauge. Bruce, does, does that 17 even, does, pound of boost. Does this even sound right 17%. to you? 17%. Um, yeah, you're, I think the... Um, the throttle pedal runs from zero to a hundred and then 17 would be, we're not giving it much throttle at all at that point. Bruce, does this sound right though? Been less, getting Less than quarter. Less getting than quarter. In, right. Yeah. Less than a quarter of the way. Uh, a truck that, that is running 70 miles an hour at four pounds of boost sounds to me like a nine or 10 mile per gallon truck. Yeah. I mean, that's I, really, I that really, when I'm empty. Well, but so you're, if you're empty, your boost should be two then. I mean, the more weight you put on the truck, the more boost we're going to end up with at the same speed. It has to work harder. You're going to get more boost at the same speed. If it were heavy, you'd have more boost. If it was light, you'd have less. But you can't have much less than four pounds. I mean, that's so low. Bruce, have you ever been in a vehicle that could maintain 70 miles an hour on four pounds of boost? <laughs> Other than my ninety-five dogs, well, right? That's what I mean. <laughs> I, 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 a trailer in Colorado and going east, but right. you had to be going east. <laughs> exactly. And, that, that's what I the mean. Right turbine now, pretty and low. I know Carl Kellner's two WS Cat in the three seventy-nine at fifty-eight pound of boost running Buffalo to Chicago. Use zero on the boost. And he was at 8.3. Right. But that was at, at uh, 58 miles an hour. That's what I mean. He built a really efficient truck there. But if he were to go 70, I, I think we would see his boost climb a lot. Yeah. 58 to 70 is a big you difference. Remember, I'm, in I'm in 13th. Yeah, but you got to remember, I'm in 13th that, year. That doesn't matter. And I'm only at 1,200. No, right, but that should increase the yeah. boost. That's what I'm trying to say. Your numbers aren't making sense. You're running at 1,200 RPM, 70 miles an hour. Your boost should be significantly higher than four. It'd be a nice truck to put on a dyno and see what's going I, on with I it. I think so. Yeah, there, there's, there are way too many numbers here just not making any sense. 
we can verify the tax correct. We can verify right. the boost is correct. I, I think that and, would be the next know, well, step. Get this thing on a dyno. Like oil temp as well. Yeah, and try to figure out why these numbers aren't making sense. Otherwise, I think you're going to be chasing this stuff for a long time. We, there's something weird going on here. Get it on the dyno. And then, oh, we lost the call, too. Uh, let's go to Arizona. Nick, welcome. Hey, um, I was listening to some of your old episodes, and a guy had a motor that was running full, and uh, I haven't uh, gotten to the solution yet, but one of the guys said something about uh, the teacher core lines might have been backwards, so something to think about. Hey, yeah, uh, Well, hold on. Let, let's go really, back again, uh, because... We've had lots of trucks with low coolant temps. And, you know, we've had some mysteries. How is this coolant running, you know, this low of a temperature? And and we've been through a lot of those. This is the first call I can ever remember where we had oil running significantly cooler than water. And it's like it's breaking the laws of physics. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, that doesn't add up. Hmm. All right. Um, but anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there yeah. real quick. Hey, uh, and I thought for your show, you, you know, it'd be really cool if you had some sort of chat going live with these calls. That way, guys that are listening and uh, might have a solution to the problem could just type it in real quick and you could be watching as you, you know, you guys could be seeing this chat as you're taking these calls. Um, I don't know what kind of platform you do that on, but well, that's a good idea. We do know, and it's in the works, and here's why we're not doing it currently. When we, when we sat down after we got canceled and, you know, kind of laid out our roadmap, what are we going to do? Um, our plan was to not use anybody else's platforms. To Our ultimate goal was to get to the right. point where we had no software that we were renting or leasing from anywhere else. We had no platforms. So we can't be canceled. I, I've said when we get done with this, you would have to turn off the Internet to cancel us. We won't be dependent on anybody's software. Yeah. So we will have chat in our software because I love that idea. Um, we didn't think it was going to take us this long. So we didn't want to start a chat like on the tribes or Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else and then have to change it later on. But I love the idea and it's in the works. We just we really didn't want to have to change too much. Okay, cool. All right, Bruce, uh, I got a uh, non-related question to ask you first and then I'll ask you a truck question. Uh, what kind of snowmobile are you running? What model? I don't know if we lost him, maybe. Hello? I don't Can you hear me? I can, I can hear you, you. Pete. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if we lost Bruce at that moment. Oh, wait. Hold on a second. Let me I, I don't on. know what Bruce is running. No, Bruce is here. I'm back. Oh, there you are. Uh, I was I asking was you, Bruce, what, kind, what, what model snowmobile do you run? I was running a 2017 850 Skidoo Summit that we had turbocharged at six pound of boost, was making 200 horsepower. And... They offered me a phenomenal price at Ogden, Utah, to trade it in on a new one. The Bombardier is building me a brand new Summit X, already turboed. And before we even ride it, we'll program it to make it a a nice, strong 200 horsepower from 180. And this will be probably my last sled in my life, but I've said that before on things. Okay, yeah, I was just curious as to what type of riding you were doing. Obviously, you're you're doing some backcountry riding. If you're riding a summit, I didn't know being from 
uh, in the Pittsburgh area if you were just in the trail riding, but it uh, sounds like you're doing the backcountry stuff, huh? I, uh, I won a snowmobile in 93 on a raffle ticket that was given to me, and it completely changed my life. In 93, 94, I did some eastern riding, and then I discovered riding in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Oregon, and and I've never looked back to riding in the east. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's about that like the same story. Mm-hmm. I had the same story. road trip you know, there for a while and then, then discovered the mountain riding and haven't looked back either. It's phenomenal. So, yeah. uh, but, mm-hmm. hey, hey, hey uh, you're going to Grand Lake. Um, have you seen the movie Tread? Uh, it's about a snowmobiler um, that lived in Gran- uh, Granby, right below Grand Lake. Uh, pretty, very interesting movie. Uh, true story about a guy, big time into snowmobiling, and, and it's kind of a political movie about a guy that was pushed too far, and uh, he took matters into his own hands. But uh, you got to watch it before you get out there to Grand Lake. It's, it's kind of a, a neat movie to see, especially if you're going out there to... That, that area. We're going right through Granby to get to Grand Lake. You talking about the guy that took the uh, made the bull, took the uh, bulldozer and made it a tank? <laughs> yep, that's the movie. You've seen it? Uh, I I know all about the guy, and I know why he did it because <laughs> the guy that is our catalyst dealer out of Kremlin has been in the concrete business his entire life, and they were building a new concrete plant right across the street from this guy and he didn't want the plant to go in and uh, so he took matters on his own hands and he tried to level the town of Granby with his bulldozer and took his life. Yeah. But the yep. guy he went after is a really good friend of mine and a great guy and if you're ever in Kremlin, Colorado and you're broke down, he's got a great shop there that he manages to fleet for Breckenridge Ready Mix and he keeps uh, their fleet's running trouble-free, running the Max Miley's Catalyst. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's quite a story. Another client of mine from uh, Fraser originally told me about that story. Me. Hey. Anyway. Yeah. That's okay, talking sad, about Catalyst. But, uh, go ahead. Uh, talking about your Catalyst, uh, I just got some and started running it, and uh, I was in uh, Flagstaff for a couple of days, and, and I keep... Uh, I keep two motorcycles on the back of my truck, uh, an enduro bike and a uh, supermoto. And uh, I was I was riding the trails, and I put a little your catalyst in the, in the two-stroke bike. What happens if you put too much in there? Something like a gas motor. I don't know. Okay. I don't <laughs> know. Too much. You know, in, in a gasoline in my pickup. So in my Ford Ranger, one time I I dosed it as if I was dosing the, the Dodge, which had a 30-gallon tank versus 15-gallon tank. And all I did was I ran 100 miles and put more fuel in it to, to dilute, dilute it down some and didn't have any problems. So if you, you know, say double it up by mistake, it's not going to hurt anything. If you would put in, you know, six ounces instead of one, I don't know, we've never gone that far, but I know I've doubled it where I'm putting, I should put in, say, three quarters or a half of an ounce. And I put an ounce in, it didn't hurt anything. Yeah. How, yeah. how, how uh, much yeah. did you ever do I'm good. Ah, uh, that's the problem. I didn't really measure. I just put a little splash in there. I need to get one of the syringes for, for you know, for smaller quantities like that. Uh, uh, but I haven't. I just, I had it with me there. So I just put a little splash in there. And uh, I didn't think that maybe if I put too much in, what kind of damage it might do. Um, the catalyst, like, what's the principle behind it? Is it somehow oxygenating the fuel or what, what are we doing there? No, it is. It, 
maybe Dr. Jane can come on the line and t- answer that question. But what it does is it ignites the diesel fuel 33% faster. Uh, so think of crankcraft crankshaft rotation. A crank turns 360 degrees, right, to make a circle. From the time diesel fuel is injected, it takes 15 degrees of crank rotation to ignite the fuel with the max mileage catalyst and ignites in 10 degrees. So it's a faster, hotter, cleaner burn. Now, in gasoline, we don't know. All I know is it really, you push less on the throttle, the fuel mileage increases, the cars, motorcycles, outboard engines, snowmobiles, they all seem to love it. So uh, just chainsaws, these blowers, they start better. So just in general, harder, like we used to have. Nick, the the difference in an additive and a catalyst. The the additive really doesn't change anything in the fuel. It's just a new component on its own. A catalyst in in anything. I mean, we used to use catalysts in bodywork. You you've got you know, mud, and you but you put in an activator or a catalyst to harden it. You know that that compound sits in that can for twenty years and never gets hard. But two minutes after you put a catalyst in it, it is rock solid. There is a, a catalyst creates a chemical reaction. You're you're changing the chemical structure of what you had to start with. Additives don't do that. So the 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 fact that it gotcha. is a catalyst, I can't explain what chemical reaction is happening. That's something Dr. Jane could probably do. But I can just tell you with the catalyst, we're actually changing the chemical structure of the fuel, something additives can't and don't do. Okay. That was good. Right. Very good. I like that. <laughs> I worked on that. Um, have, you, have you got other callers waiting? Get, uh, yeah, but go ahead. What do you got? You can get the syringe at any hardware. Okay, I was going to ask uh, Bruce and the guys. Um, I've got a 2WS Caterpillar, and considering doing your uh, manifold uh, turbo housing platoon, what kind of numbers am I looking at? I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to get big power out of it. I'm just trying to make it more efficient and have a little bit better uh, throttle response. So, what, what kind of numbers would we be looking, looking at? When you said numbers, are you talking price or horsepower and torque? Uh, both, actually. I think I, I know your prices. I, I saw them on your website there. But, uh, yeah, if I bring the truck up there, what's it going to cost to have all that installed in, in parts and labor? It's going to be at about $7,000. Okay. Parts and labor. Okay. And then, and then what kind of... Uh, and that'll be on the dyno. You'll be, on the, you'll be in the dyno room with the engineers, and you'll tell them exactly what you want, and they'll put it right where you want it. Okay. Okay. What, what kind of uh, horsepower torque numbers would I be looking at? Uh, like I said, not trying to get the most performance, but to make it the most efficient. If you add 100 horsepower, you're adding about 300 foot-pounds of torque. So okay. you, you pick the numbers, and, and we give you what you ask for. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. I'll let you guys go. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. Boy, they just uh, they just keep piling up on us now. Uh, let's go to BC. Colin, welcome. Hey, I'm just calling about Ben's call about the coolant. We had a, I don't remember, it was a Freightliner, but I don't remember what engine it was. And we switched it. It showed up from the factory with green coolant and our whole shop ran the other stuff. So the red, so we decided to change that truck out. 
and it took at least three flushes with just straight water in the rad system and then two flush kits. Um, I'm just going to make a guess. Is those pitchers, is it like a gray, like a runny yeah. clay looking stuff? I, that's, in there? A, that's exactly that, what no, it, it is. It's the red, it's red, it's red and green mixed. He that, never got it all out. That's the what I thought. Kits, they, yeah. Flush kits do a little bit of work, but we ran straight water like three times, fill it up, run it for 10, 30 seconds, drain it, do it again, do it again. Cause yeah, we had, I think it was two or three filters by the time we got rid of all that. Yeah. I, I, but we, we did it in a day. Like once we yeah. figured out the issue, it's just flushing a whole bunch that right. won't have any issues. Right. Uh, looking at that, it seems like it's the only thing that it, it, well, it's almost a catalytic reaction that happens. I mean, it's kind of like a catalyst. You yeah. mix those two and you get all kinds of funky stuff going on. Well, I remember in chemistry, you'd pour two liquids together and some, they're all some like powder would drop out of it, yeah, like right. a solid would drop yeah. out. It does the same thing. Yeah. I actually remember the call when Ben phoned in and uh, Bruce told him, oh yeah, you'll be okay to switch it over. And I thought, I'm like, I should have called that day. I'm like, no, it's, yeah, it, he's right. You can change it. It's not going to be a problem, but. I actually recommend changing it. I don't know why anybody would run green coolant these days and have to put a, you know, a charged water filter on every 15,000 miles. What a pain. Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Why would you do that? But to switch it over, you like what we yeah, did, I think kind of did it how Ben did it. And then we figured out, okay, you got to <laughs> just fill it up with water, drain it, just keep fill flushing. it with water, drain yeah. it, then do a flush kit. And then we did another water after I think some, but yeah, I put that in, we drained it and just filled it up with red and it went that, like thick, gross, like right away. That that makes sense. Yep. Oh. Now we just have to figure out so how you can somebody, run oil cooler than your coolant that's our next mystery but i i think you you've got I would it think on there's this. a restriction somewhere a restriction or a gauge issue because did that guy say he tested the water temperature with a digital thermometer or no yeah he tested yeah, he checked all the, the gauges, gauges. Right. 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 okay well here's here's right now paul carmine is running empty his air temp is 72 degrees. His coolant temp is 185. His oil temp is 205. And that's an ISX 15, See, that, 2014. But he is running empty with his car hauler. But but there he is. His oil temp's 205 and his coolant temp's 185. So. I, I always thought it was the point of how these engines were set up so you could run a hotter oil temperature than your coolant temp. But it, But again, I can't figure out how you ever do the opposite. Yeah, opposite seems weird. Like my it, truck right now, I'm about 25 hotter on oil than water. And, and that's what we've seen for years and years and years. This is the first time I've ever heard of this. Hey, I'm going to so, lose signal here, but I want to throw a shout out to Terrence. He convinced me that the dental uh, plan was a good idea. So I'm it, trying it out and I'm pretty amazed. So uh, Excellent. I, I don't know. Maybe the accent and the charm got me to believe in it. So. <laughs> there you All go. All right, guys. You have a good day. Good, good stuff. Thanks for the call. I think you're, you're spot on with that one. Um, oh, wait a minute. Ben wanted to talk to Colin. Oops. Ben. Hey. So that's probably what's happening is it's mixing with green and red, but I flushed, I flushed the system about with that thorough flush four, five times. Oh, maybe like he was saying, the flush kits are one thing, but you also got to run a lot of water through it. I did. Huh. That was with water. Interesting. Five now, times oh, with wait water. A minute. The, uh, 
But that filter, Kevin, was on there while I was doing the flash. So, that filter. Huh. So, so maybe I got it all out. Hey, Pete, when we do a flush, when we do a flush, are we flushing the entire system? Are we going back through the sleeper, heater, cores? How is that done? Okay. So the way we do it, we would shut off the water filter if there is a water filter on it, and you're able to shut it off. Some you can, some you can't. We would drain the block and the radiator of coolant. We would put um, fresh water in it, and then the, we use a thorough flush brand. Go for a road test, get up to operating temperature, turn the heaters on so everything flows through the heating core system. Drain, again, the block and radiator. Fill it up with fresh water, but no um, cleaner, just water. Do the same procedure, drain it and then fresh water a second time, run it, get everything hot, drain it, and then fill up um, with, with coolant at that point. And that usually takes so, care of it. Now, where we run into issues is if there's a lot of oil in the coolant system. Sometimes we have to do multiple um, cleaners to get it to clean up. Cause it, the, years ago, it seemed to want to break down better, but the combination of the new antifreeze, the new oils, right. uh, we, we can't always get that to break down like we used to. You know, I'm thinking back to when we were we were doing the Evans coolant conversions, and I did a couple of them, and how hard we had to work on some trucks to get all of that coolant out there. And we had to test it afterwards, and it was difficult and, and on we some trucks. Sacrifice a couple gallons of Evans in the beginning right. to flush out like the um, heater cores and stuff. Right. Right. So I'm thinking that maybe this remember, is just one of those trucks that it, it just traps a lot of coolant somewhere and it's hard to get out. And if there's a APU unit on it, that, that adds another ah, place another for issue. coolant to be. Right. Right. Do you so, remember the old flush systems back? I remember my dad would flush the radiators once a year and we're talking seventies, but um, there was a valve on it. You'd put a garden hose to it. Oh yeah. And take the right. hose off and turn the valve on flush the coin system. Yeah. And you that way you could just let it run. Yeah. Huh. Well, so, Pete, uh, the way you explain the flush is the way I did it. Yeah, that, but okay. that filter, but that you filter had, was on while I did the flush, so I'm guessing it caught all the mixture of the coolant. Yeah, that's what it's starting to sound like. Like, I think that mystery we've solved. You just need to maybe flush it again, get another filter on there. I think that one we're going we're gonna to solve. It, the temperature issue is just odd. Okay, so that's what, that's what I did. I put on a new filter, Kevin, and uh, I'm using the truck. It's got red coolant in it. I guess just check the coolant to see if it's all pure red, and hopefully all yeah. that's out. Yeah, uh, you're, you'll flush it again. Open right. next time you change it. Let's cut it up to see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. I, like I say, I think that one's just, you're, you're just going to have to work a little harder on that one. I'm not nearly as concerned with that. So, all right, calls keep piling up on us here. Um, we've got another hour to go. We'll uh, keep taking your calls. Let's go to North Carolina. Thomas, welcome. Yes, sir. I got a question. I don't know if y'all can answer it or put me in contact with somebody. Can I'm working on a Mack truck, the Mack engine. It's a AM. It's a 2004 AMI 370. And when you're driving down the road and you go to pull in a hill, the turbo will just fall back to 20. It'll fall from 28 pounds of boost back to 20 pounds of boost, and it just quits pulling. 
and it lasts about five seconds or so, and then it comes back. And I'm not losing throttle position sensor. It's staying at 100% and foot in the floor. It sounds like it's going in some sort of D-rate, but being we don't work on those engines, I would have no idea where to start looking other than having someone at Mac hook up a laptop, go for a ride, and then while that's doing that, they can see what's telling it to D-rate. Right. Okay. All right, so that answered my question. Appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Georgia. Glenn, welcome to the program. Hey, everybody. I've got two questions. I've got a 2018 Volvo D13. I've had it in a couple different shops. Nobody could figure out. Every time I use the engine brake, the whole the truck will just shake. And I, I cannot figure out what in the world's going on. It's, it's been doing this ever since I bought the truck about two and a half years ago. When what? How many miles did it have on it when you bought it? I bought it at just under five hundred thousand, and I've got seven forty three on it now. And it, so you said it did it right from the very beginning. Uh, yes, I actually thought I was losing a U joint or something. I was had everything checked. I've had the overhead ran twice so- on it. Um, nothing seems to change. So, Pete, is there something on the Jake itself that can cause this, or is it going to be more like motor mounts or something that just when the Jake's activated, it's causing the problem? I don't see where the Jake's themselves could cause that. Generally, think so. your complaint would be not working well, they're weak, um, something like that. So I've never heard a Jake cause a vibration. So, yeah, I think you're in the right area with, you know, is there a motor mount issue going on, um, you know, a loose motor mount mm-hmm. bolt, something like that causing uh, disruption in, in the system. I haven't checked that. that. I mean, that seems to me like the obvious thing, because I, I can't see anything about the Jake that could cause a vibration in the engine. But, but Pete, I know you're a lot more familiar with them, and you're saying the same thing. So I think just the fact that the Jake is coming on, changes the dynamic of the whole drive line. So I think that Jake isn't the, the root cause. It's just the trigger. And we got to find the root cause. Probably going to be a motor mount or something in the drive line. Okay. Well, I will get done somewhere and have mounts checked, I guess. Uh, second question was, are you guys able to do tunes on the D13 now? Yes, we can. Mm-hmm. Is that something that needs to be done at Pittsburgh, or can your remote tuners do it? Yes. No, that would have to be here. Be there. Okay. And you guys are mm-hmm. a couple of weeks out on appointments? Uh, no, for tunes, generally less than that. Uh, tunes, maybe a week. Leroy was on vacation for a couple of days, so I would imagine next week's probably going to be opened up from him to be able to get uh, that tuned up for you. Oh, okay. Actually, that would work pretty good. I'll plan on being up not too far from you next week. So I yeah, give give me where I call. Yeah, he'll be back in tomorrow. Okay, sounds good. All right, thank you guys. You're welcome. Let's go Thanks. to. Oh, go Kevin? ahead, Bruce. Yeah, Kevin, I have to. I have to leave the show. So uh, they're calling for me. So I must run. There you go. And I'll see you next week. All right. Thanks for your time, as always. Pete. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go to New York. Jay, welcome. Hey, Jay. Oh, did I just lose Bruce? He, he I want to ask him about that Celastic. 
The the what? Hello. The elastic shocks for for the car for the for the pickup pick trucks and the trucks. Oh. Yeah, to, to help them with the suspension, make it smoother. All Pete? right, I'll catch you some other well, time. Hold hold on, Pete. You okay. know anything about those? All right. Other than Bruce was running them, but I don't know any other details. Oh, got it. Okay. All right. Catch you him. Shoot Bruce right. an email. Yeah, either send him an email or catch him next week on here. All right. Well, uh, you remember you guys were talking about last week about blowing the hoses and all that on the turbos? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, there's, there's a product out there called Clamp Tight. And, I mean, this thing is, this thing is phenomenal. You can use it for every, anything. And it's a tool that comes with like some wires and you, you basically making your own clamp with it. You know, like I said, it's, it's clamp tight, T-I-T-E. And like I said, you're basically making your own clamp right there, no matter what size you need. And, you know, and you can take it off and, and put it back on. You end up making it yourself. It's a small kit. It comes with a small tool and wires. Yep, I see it here. Yeah, that'd be a good um, item for someone to keep in their truck. Yep, exactly. And like I said, you know, this way it avoids the problem of different size clamps. You know, you don't have to double clamps to get them in. And it's, and it's, good, and it's good for anything, any type of hose. It holds a lot of pressure. And mm-hmm. if you have time and look at the video, you'll see, like I said, they put it on on a multiple fittings onto it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Looks, like, yep. looks yep. interesting. Yeah, be great to have in your truck. Sure would. Uh, I think I might throw some of those in the coach. Let's uh, let's go to Georgia. Bill, welcome. Hello. Hey, that uh, that catalyst in the fuel. I had a five gallon uh, container of uh, fuel, and I put like an ounce and a half into it. Hasn't hurt none of my lawn car uh, lawn equipment. Actually, made it run pretty quiet, to be honest with you. Good. Okay, that's pretty strong concentration, so it's good to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, it cleaned out a lot because on my Briggs and Stratton, I've actually it actually cleaned out the carbon pretty good. So I was happy, but that's all I wanted to uh, let you guys know about. All right. Thanks for the Appreciate call. That. We're all right. Blowing through them now. Let's go to Idaho. Jason, welcome. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. What's on your mind? I got a question with my, uh, sorry, I got a C15. Um, I just put a new radiator in it. It's got a new fan switch in it. Uh, my first pole of the hill I took with it, my fan came on at 206 degrees. Ever since then, it's 215 degrees when it comes on, and then it shuts off at 206 degrees. Any idea? Uh, what year and what engine? It's a 2007 Kenworth C15. Uh, Pete, that doesn't sound like a problem, does it? Yeah. No, I don't see anything out of the ordinary for I don't that. either. Oh, really? That high temperature? I've seen them run up into Mm -hmm. the 220s. So 215 down to 206, that that seems just about right where it should be. Okay. Because, yeah, it would come on at 206 occasionally. (laughs) And about 223, the alarms start blaring on this thing. Yeah, you know, we always see that as these trucks get older and older, 
and, and that one's 16 years old now, the, the entire cooling system just becomes a little less efficient and you start to bump up against mm-hmm. some of these higher temperatures and shutdowns more often. And um, it's just pretty common. Mm-hmm. And, and we never find like any big issue. It's just it's just that the system itself okay. has just deteriorated over the years. It just doesn't cool quite as good as it used to. Okay. Yeah, and I I always just turn the fan switch on before yeah, I start pulling a hill and would, stays cool. So. Yeah, which, which is fine. I'm not seeing anything I would be worried about. <clears throat> huh. Okay. It's good to know. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Texas. Pat, welcome. Hey, good morning, guys. So my 07 Acer that, that uh, JR tuned up 750 on the horse and about 2,500 on the torque. This thing has been fighting a heating problem since I bought it three years ago. Anyway, so I found an outfit in Laramie that would build me a, 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 a radiator. But he wouldn't warranty that radiator unless I went to green antifreeze because of the of the solder joints in that radiator, the red antifreeze, whatever's in that, will eat the solder joints right out of it. Well, I needed to go from a three core to a four core because, like I said, I was having those heating problems. So I did it all myself in my shop, switched it over. I didn't use anything to flush the system except water and air. So I got, everything was apart, radiator was out, um, and and so I, I, I flushed the bunk with water, pushed air through it uh, until that was empty. Did the same thing with the heater core on the on the on the cab, um, and then of course the you know there was a little bit of residual left, but everything was running clear. I'll take that filter off because I had to go with a filter right. on that green, and I'll take that off. And I guess now I know. Because that was in the back of my head, too, Kevin. What's this stuff going to do? <laughs> right. Yeah, we've seen some... If, if there's any residual left. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and, go ahead. Well, the other thing I was going to say is we should, when we talk about this, we should probably drop the colors. You know, we always say green and red. The problem is I've seen blue, purple. That what we should really talk about is either long life or non-long life. That, that's really the distinction. We should be careful about just saying the colors all the time. Uh, as far as I know, green right. is the only non-long life. I don't know that I've ever seen anything other than green. But in the long life, I have seen other colors. So we should just be careful and just say long life. And, and we have seen when you mix the green with any of the long life stuff, you can get some weird results. Okay, but on the shell zone that I bought, it says, you know, it, it's green, right? It says antifreeze plus engine coolant formulated for stringent corrosion protection. Okay. Now, I don't know what the hell that means. Uh, not, but not a lot. That's marketing. It's pre- let, let, that's just marketing. Right. All, all they're saying is they've got corrosion inhibitors in there, and maybe they put a little more than somebody else. Uh, you have to have corrosion inhibitors because you have water. Right. So at the end of the day, I mean, I it, it cooled off since I put the darn radiator in, right? Yeah. Um, so... 
I, I'm not I'm not really fighting any heating problems. So no, I, but so I, far everything's working out really good. I, I'm a little uh, I'm wondering, Pete. Have you ever heard of coolant actually being able to attack the solder joints in a radiator? I've never heard that. Nope, nope. I haven't either. I, I was shocked when he. You know, they make that comment because we've never had that brought up. Anytime I, there's a radiator failure, replacing a radio like what antifreeze you're running, it just has never come up. I, I have never ever well, heard that. The, and, 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 but but this guy builds these radiators, and he's not going to change the way he builds them. And this is what he's told everybody that we've we've tuned out of Cheyenne with the high horse, high horse, high altitude tunes that Jr. does on these caterpillars that he will not warranty in that year if we're running red antifreeze. Hmm. So it's a pain in the ass, but you know, that's what he says is happening. Now in this particular radiator, not the ones from the factory, but in this particular radiator with these nine sixteenths tubes and all those kind of things, the dimple tubes, this is what he's swearing up and down so, by. So, so what I'd am like I going to know, take three thousand dollars and not have a warranty on it? No, I guess I, I would. would I, it, had I known that in the first place, I wouldn't have bought his radiator because I wouldn't want to have to deal with green coolant and recharging it all the time. But no, I guess you you want the warranty. What I'd like to know though is is his solder that different? And and if so, I think it's old school solder. I, I, I was going to say, if it's that different and it's causing a problem like this, why not just switch? Well, and I asked him that, and his answer to me was, is that it would cost him too much in the shop to change the direction that he's got everything going so far. Could could be, but so you if know, that I, makes any sense. It might. My answer would be. But I'm the customer, and your method is going to cost me for the life of this truck. Yeah, well, I guess I didn't. I I, I wasn't real hip on it either. But I needed to do something because yeah. my radiator, at, at at 16 years old on this truck, uh, was rotten. No, I get it. It was I, falling I, apart. I, it was a three-core radiator, yeah, and I, so I, I get it. I've just, I've just never heard of this, and if it's actually true, and I, I would, I'm sure he didn't make this up. I'm sure he has this policy for a reason. He probably had a couple of his radiators fail with the red coolant, and if that's the case, then no, he can't really warranty it. But I'd have to look at this and say, do I really want the hassles of the green coolant again? Absolutely, but you know what? As a one-horse owner-operator, because I got yeah. rid of all the no, other trucks, right. I'm, I'm willing. I'm, I'm willing to roll the dice. Yeah, and you know what? If, if it's your uh, and truck, go back and, and, to changing a filter every yeah. fifteen thousand. If it's your truck, you're driving it. You do your own maintenance. Putting, let's be honest, putting a water filter on there is not that big of a deal. I, you know, I just I'm used to managing multiple trucks, and you know that that could become a real issue in, in a case like that, but. You're right. If you're doing this, not that big of a deal. Well, and I'm changing field filters every 12. I might as well just change the the water filter every 12. The other thing is, is I can't find decent enough clamps. What what has happened to our clamp universe? I didn't listen to the show last week, but the guy before me came on saying something about a clamp. So I, I, these smaller clamps aren't worth a darn anymore. Uh, hose clamps and 
I got one that just wants to leak all the time on a hose barb on a quarter-inch hose, and it's just driving me crazy. And I've changed the damn clamp about three times. And I, I just don't understand what's going on with our clamps in this country. Maybe they're just not coming from this country anymore. I, you know, I, I just, in general, I'm just so disgusted with customer service and quality and, and everything else in our economy. So this just seems like one more example of that. Right. And what was he talking about, Kevin? What, what was that product he was talking about? I couldn't hardly understand him. Um, Pete, what was that? What's the name of that clamp thing? Clamp type. So clamp T-I-T-E. Yeah, I watched the video real quick on it. Um, it. It's not something I would use because we're using wire. It uses wire to tighten stuff. But it'd be great to have oh. in a truck for emergency. Just emergency stuff, huh, Pete? Yeah, the wires, I mean, it's a 30-gauge wire. Um, you know, it's going to cut through the hose at some point. I, I, I'm a big fan oh, yeah. of the hose type that have the stainless pan in between it um, so it doesn't dig into the hose. But this would definitely be something valuable even like Kevin said, on a coach where you have all different kind of sizes of hoses to get you out of a jam. It would definitely get right. you to a service station or back home right. for you to fix it properly. Yeah. I don't think it's going to replace the clamp. Okay, well, it doesn't sound like it. sounds like you're going to have to replace more hose. <laughs> yeah. So... All right. Well, good enough, fellas. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for the call. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.